If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 193 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 27th day of August of the year 2023, this season's final August episode. And as we continue our seemingly unending, months-long stretch of absolute nightmare status Yankees baseball, to put it mildly. Still, I say to you, happy Sunday, my good people. It is the last Yapping Yankees episode of August. I am back in the U.S. of A. Got back on Monday, so I'm back for six days already. It really has flown, but not as fast as the vacation did. But I do have to say, I had... Such a great time there. As I was telling you a couple of weeks ago, the last time we spoke, I had so much fun in Italy with family, friends, eating the whole nine yards. You know it. Uh, And I'm just sad to be back. (laughs) I'm always sad to come back. Fortunately, because I actually am not stressed about my job anymore the way I was for so long at my prior one, and I'm actually at peace of mind with that now. It's not so much being bummed out about going back to work. It's more so just being back here and being away from that food, being away from my family and friends there. Not that I don't also have family and friends here that I love to death, because I do. But it's just... It's on another level over there. It's just different. It's not better, it's just different. And I always miss it terribly when I come back. So, it's always an adjustment. Especially the time difference, that's the biggest adjustment of all, because it's a six-hour time change. I don't know how many of you know that between Italy and America, there's six hours, from the East Coast at least. East Coast to Italy, there's a six-hour difference. Italy's six hours ahead. The East Coast is six hours behind. So it makes for a tough adjustment. I'll give an example because if you go to bed regularly there, maybe it's, say, I don't know, like 2 a.m. Let's just choose that random time. But let's say you go to bed at 2 a.m. there. That's 8 p.m. here. So when you come home, your body clock tells you that you're going to start to get tired at 8 o'clock at night. So if you're one that likes to stay up late if you're a night owl, you're not going to be that for a little bit when you come back here and you're readjusting because you're going to start getting tired before the sun is barely even fully down. So it's it's a tough adjustment for a little while. I think coming home is much worse than going there as far as adjusting to the change in time. But regardless, I'm starting to get there. The jet lag's starting to fade out a little bit. Definitely certain moments where I was acting like a bit of an idiot when I came home, just like forgetting stupid crap and things like that. But starting to get back into it. The head fog is clearing out. It's a tough adjustment. It really is. It can't be, can't be overstated. And then coming back home, you got the almost nine-hour flight, which is much longer than going there because when you're going to Italy, when you're going east, you got the jet stream helping you out. So it pushes the plane and it shortens the flight maybe to like seven and a half to eight hours full length, but then coming home, you're going against it. So it's basically like an eight and a half to nine hour flight. Holy crap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's uh, it's an adventure. But you know what? It's all worth it. It's all worth it, as I'm sure you can imagine. 
So Italy, as always, an absolute 10,000 out of 10. And I only hope that each and every one of you out there could experience it for yourselves at least once in your life if you haven't already, especially if you're fortunate enough to have family and friends there and amazing family and friends there at that, like I do. Because then it makes an already amazing and life-changing experience just that much better. But as always, all good things must come to an end, and now it's time to get back to reality. But anyways, sad to be back, especially considering... When it comes to coming on this podcast and talking about the Yankees, there really isn't much to be excited about on here because usually every summer, in my experience, in the 11 times that I've been there, and I would say nine since I've been a baseball fan, the amount of times I've been to Italy, that is, this was the one time, one time in my entire life that in any summer I went to Italy, the Yankees were not really worth keeping much track of when I was, even when I was having the best of times there in the past. I would just be glued to my phone if it was at 1 a.m. there and it was 7 p.m. here. That'd usually be when a night game started. I'd be loosely attached to my phone following the score and watching pitch by pitch even sometimes if I had Wi-Fi with me especially. And I'd really care. I really would. I wouldn't let it nearly come close to dominating the trip, but I would care much more than I did this past summer. But I'm always having a good time there. And you best believe that when it's not worth keeping track of, then I'm really going to let the environment there just take hold and dominate. And that's what I did because it wasn't worth keeping track of the Yankees this summer as much as I usually do while I'm there. So I just enjoyed the hell out of my time there as any sane person should because it's not worth it. And even in this last week or so when I was enjoying my last days there and even the week before that when it was my last full week there, it was just more the same. More of what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. More of every single week, maybe you get a good game or two out of the team than the other ones. They're just completely gutless, lifeless, with no fight or spirit or care whatsoever, seemingly. It's just not worth it. Some people even contact me last time, like, listen, I know you're all relaxed on the trip, and and I even did explain on the show two weeks ago that even if it weren't worth getting angry over, I was just in such a happy and relaxed state there that I couldn't because it was also my first vacation in years. So... I was just enjoying the hell out of my time there, but even if it wasn't under those circumstances, why get so livid about something? Even if you do care about the Yankees as much as I do, and I I care about this team to the ends of time, please. It's not even worth, there's no words for it. It's not even worth getting into how much I care about this team. It's crazy. It's borderline unhealthy. But I mean, if it's gotten to such a bad point, and it's like abundantly clear that nothing is going to happen to turn things around for the better, then what's the point of popping a blood vessel over it? Really, like, I just don't feel like screaming about it anymore. Addressing the problems? Yeah, we do it every single episode. Because we have to. That's how brutal the team is. So yeah, that's a must, and we will continue to do that. But popping a blood vessel, like I do oftentimes when they lose a huge game, or if they get eliminated from the playoffs and talking about where the organization goes from there and a lot of big junctures in time. Like, I I don't... It's just not the same. The season's over. It's done, guys. If you can't admit that here on August 27th, then you're lying to yourself. And I'm not even just saying this just because the Yankees lost earlier today. And yes, it's maybe about like 5... Yeah, it's around 5.30 at the time I'm taping right now. So the game... The game ended, I don't know, maybe a little bit over an hour ago. So today's game is done against Tampa Bay. They lost the series. 
another series. And speaking of series, I should just mention, as far as when we're talking about the problems of the team, the many endless problems with the 2023 Nightmare Yankees team, I should just mention that when it comes to series, that since that series against the A's in the last week of June, which is about two months ago now, so in the span of two months since that A's series, the Yankees have won two. Two series. That's it. And those two, one of them is the one that I just mentioned with the A's, that's one, and the other was the Royals' sweep at Yankee Stadium against the Kansas City Royals from July 21st to July 23rd, almost a month after that A's series. And now we're a month after that Royals series, and they have not won a single series since. They've evened up series, the four-game series, yeah. And were there series that they should have won and they didn't? Of course there were. But have they? No. They have not won a single series in over a month, and they have won two in two months. To say it's embarrassing, and to say that this organization has completely and utterly collapsed and is utterly unrecognizable from the great New York Yankees we once knew, is not even scratching the surface. I said it two weeks ago, when I already declared then that the season was over, and there were people even before then, before me, that were claiming that the season was over. And it looks like even they were right too. But it's just not even... There's no words left. There's nothing to scream about. We've been watching this for months now. Everything that there was to scream about or is to scream about or be angry about or mention has been screamed about, mentioned, or discussed already. It's not even worth it anymore. Yeah, you could still talk about the problems, and yeah, we probably should, but is it worth going crazy over? Are the Yankees front office going crazy about it? No, they're not. Yeah, Brian Cashman in the last few days may have finally admitted that this season is an unmitigated disaster, more or less, but that was pretty overdue. And at this point, it's stating the obvious, as we are just days away from September, and the Yankees are more than double digits at this point now, out of the wild card. So it just goes back to my argument from before, I will always respect optimism as long as there's reason to have it. But if you watch this team every single day and their constant habit of finding new ways to lose almost every single day, whether it be the bullpen falling apart, whether it be a starter falling apart as the rotation has just been complete chaos for the last month plus, or if finally it's the main reason that they have lost so many games this year, the offense. Whether they just go through long bouts of time where they're nowhere to be found, or if they have their day or two, as I mentioned, each week, where they happen to explode for maybe, I don't know, like six to ten runs or something like that, and then the next day, they pull their vintage disappearing act. The very next day, about 18 hours later, nowhere to be found. It's just the same thing. That's what I was talking about when I said two weeks ago. I had a line two weeks ago where I said, every week, there's a day or two where the Yankees will look really good. 
but then the other four to five, <laughs> it's like a they couldn't beat a double A team. It's to the point where, regardless of opponent, it doesn't matter who they're playing. It really doesn't. Regardless of who they're playing, you're not confident. Could they surprise you every few days? Yeah. I mean, broken clock is right twice a day, right? I mean, it happens. But whether you want to be an eternal optimist or not, you want to tell me that there is a single pitcher or overall opponent when it comes to teams out there that the Yankees face, and you and you say, yeah, that's going to be a win. No. There is none. Absolutely no one out there. Could they beat the A's or the Royals, a couple of baseball's worst teams? Yeah, probably could. Those are the only two series they've won in over two months. So, could be possible. But there could even be blunders that take place there and result in horrible, unexcusable gut-punch losses like we have endlessly seen this year. You can't even specifically mention how many inexcusable and gut-punch losses have happened this year because there have been too many. There have been far too many. And that's why the team is as deflated as they are. Right now, today, after their loss to Tampa, which resulted in yet another series loss, they are now 62-68. and 68. They are even six and a half games right now behind the fourth-place Boston Red Sox. And as I said, when it comes to the wild card, they are 11 games back of the Houston Astros who possess the third wild card. So again, if you want to come to me being optimistic and tell me that the season is not over yet, you can continue to keep your head in the clouds all you want. I'm not going to. I declared the season over two weeks ago when things were much closer. Now they are far worse with much less time to go than what we were talking about two weeks ago. As of today, the Yankees finished their 130th game with the 62-68 and 68 record, which means they have 32 games remaining in the season to try to overcome an 11-game deficit. It's simply not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I don't care if they're not mathematically eliminated yet. It means nothing to me. It's not going to happen, guys. It's not me being a phony Yankee fan, or being a bandwagon, or whatever you want to call me that I've been accused of being endless times at this point. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just telling the truth. It's not my fault if you do not want to accept reality. As a matter of fact, if you don't want to accept reality, then the Yankees' front office is a perfect place for you. You should apply for a job. Because that's just what they do on a regular basis, is to just continue to deny reality right in front of the entire world to see. Brian Cashman's press conference the other day of him finally admitting that this season has been an unmitigated disaster is the first statement of truth that I've heard in years. Too little too late though, Brian. You still deserve to not have a job here. And you know it's gotten bad even when a lot of the time lately even Aaron Judge's bat has slowed down. It's not fair in general to put it all on one guy, or in this case, even two guys, because 
you also have the only other guy on this team worth a damn these days. His name is Garrett Cole, by the way. But when even Aaron Judge is starting to slow down a bit and you see Garrett Cole being stripped of so many wins that he deserved to get, but the offense being dead or the bullpen blowing it, put whatever reason you want out there, he's even lost out a lot on a lot of deserved wins. All of these things I've spoken about already, these are just traits of a bad team. And for weeks on end now, I've had people tell me that whenever I would tell them that this is the worst Yankee team that I've personally watched in my 16 years watching this team, I have people tell me, oh, but at the time they still had an over 500 record, so record-wise they're technically still above average. Well, what are you going to say now? They're 62 and 68. Are you willing to admit that this is a truly bad team yet? Because really, except for the very start of the season, when they were looking a bit good in May for a while, this has been what this team has been for about 90% of the season. This is who they are. They're not a good team. Those of us who pay attention every day have seen this for a while now. And use whatever reasoning you want for that. You want to keep on using the injuries excuse. You want to keep using the excuse that they get unlucky sometimes. Fine. Go ahead. If it helps you sleep at night, then use it. If you have the stats to back it up and that makes you feel good about yourself, then go right ahead. All I know is that truly good teams usually find ways to overcome that. And the excuses have to run out eventually. They don't seem to ever run out with this organization. Regardless of their pool of resources and talent and money. But you'll just keep on getting the excuses thrown your way. And telling you that what you're seeing with your very own eyes right in front of you is incorrect. And then before you know it, you have a 62-68 and record. And even they're saying, oh, what, what the hell happened? We never saw this coming. We never thought it was possible. Therein lies the problem. That you never thought this to be possible. You always have to be prepared for this. And even, that's another, just complete denial of reality. We never saw this coming. Why? Why did you never see it coming? The team has been like this since late June or early July of last year, after you had a disastrous trade deadline, you did nothing to add to this team from an external standpoint outside of signing Carlos Rodon for the rotation, which has turned out to be a disaster so far. And you didn't see this coming? The one aspect of the team, the main aspect of the team that led to your ultimate downfall, the offense, and not adding significantly anywhere where changes were severely needed in regards to the offense. And you never saw this coming? With the way that they've struggled this year, you never saw it possible? Therein lies the problem. Head in the clouds, denial of reality. And before they even knew it hit them, 62-68 and 68 record through 130 games. Just like that. No series wins in over a month. Only two series wins going back to the last week of June. Last series of June against the A's. And now we got a new series starting tomorrow. Four-game series against the Tigers on the road. And this is the last few days. These are the last few days right here of August. 
September's right around the corner, guys. It flew like it always does. Another season come and almost gone. So where do you go from here? You're looking at the Yankee team. It's nearly September. And this is going to be a massive topic for today's show, especially in the social media segment later. When you have a season that has no value anymore because you're out of it, the playoffs are not going to be a reality this year shamefully and inexcusably so, with the payroll and expectations of this New York Yankees team, to put it mildly. But this is the reality we are in, and we cannot be like this Yankees organization and front office and deny reality. The reality is the season is over. They're not going to the playoffs. So, therefore, the remaining 32 games are utterly meaningless. So, what do you do... And what do you look to to make anything you possibly can in these next 32 games meaningful, have any value whatsoever? We're going to talk about that later on in the show. But that at this point is really the question to ask yourself, just like the episode title, what even still matters? What aspects of the team can we look to to give value in a time where the games are virtually meaningless? It's almost like when you're going to the playoffs or you have the guaranteed lock that the division is yours or you're the best team in the entire league. You're going to have home field advantage all throughout leading straight up to the World Series and even in the World Series. For those last few games, those games are meaningless. Job is done. You accomplished what you had to in the regular season. It's just on the other side of the coin. Now, you're not going to the playoffs, which is the real purpose of playing the regular season to get to the playoffs and try to win a title, especially if you're the Yankees. But if you're not going to do that, it's meaningless. So what are some things you could do? These are things we'll talk about later. But as of now, it's just kind of just sounding like a broken record at this point. That's why there's really not much more to say besides just getting to Yankees news and recapping the last couple of weeks and then getting to that main topic of what even do we concentrate on going forward? Because all we have seen the last couple of weeks is a continuation of what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to you in Italy on the 13th. And even on the 13th, they lost a disgraceful game yet again to the Marlins. And you want to talk about what I was talking about before? Garrett Cole having a bunch of wins that he deserved to have stripped away from him? This was another example of that on that subject. Went six innings, only allowed two runs that day. Had a nice start. And even in that game, the Yankees, in the eighth inning, were up 7-2. to And then Clay Holmes, who has fallen apart of late, and Tommy Canely, who has also fallen apart of late, unfortunately, in a season of complete dismay and nightmares. Those have been two mainstays, Canely since he got back from his injury, and Clay since rediscovering himself pretty early into the season. They have really fallen apart of late, especially Tommy Canely. Blew the game in the eighth and ninth innings, down 7-2. to The Marlins mounted a comeback, and they managed to win the game, 8-7. to seven. On that day that I spoke to you, and the game hadn't started yet, and I was keeping track, I was saying, oh, maybe they'll win the game because they were up 7-2. to two. 
heading into the eighth. And I was saying, wow, okay. I was I was saying all that I was saying, but maybe they could actually win their first series in almost a month. <laughs> but like I said, a bad team never runs out of finding ways to lose a game. That's even what happened on that day. And then it continued to hold true that maybe like a day or two throughout the week, they'll have a respectable game. They didn't even have a single good day a couple of weeks ago. After that Marlins game, they lost 11-3 to to the Braves the next day. Lost 5 to nothing to the Braves the following day. Lost 2 to nothing to the Braves the day after that. So two straight games of not scoring a single run. Then thankfully they had a day off on Thursday. Have mercy. And then Friday they welcomed the Red Sox to the stadium. And they got their asses swept. <laughs> At home to Boston. And yet this past week, lost a series to the, to the Nationals. At home, to the Washington Nationals. Coming into that series, the Nationals were 58-68. and (laughs) And the Yankees lost a series to them. And now this weekend in Tampa, we know what happened because it just ended. Even earlier today. Nice 4-2 lead. Had a nice comeback. A couple of solo shots by Higgy and DJ. DJ, who's actually found a bit of a power stroke again recently. Very nice to see. Got to try to pick out your wins wherever you could find them when things are as miserable as they are. And then Anthony Volpe hitting his 18th home run of the year. Nice two-run shot. Put them up 4-2. to two. Rodon on the mound. Has to be taken out amidst being in a big jam. Then Ian Hamilton comes in. Up 4-2. to two. Bullpen's got it. No, no, they don't. 7-4 loss. Just a lot of the same. It's a lot of the same about what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. So that's the deal, guys. And we'll go a little bit more in depth on those games, even though it's not really that worth it anymore when we get to weekly recap. But regardless, let's get to Yankees news first because there have been some things that have happened the last couple of weeks. Announcement that's actually worth a damn that I'm actually excited about because I'll try my best to, you know, not really let the game that day get to me because I'm sure they'll lose it. But this will always be fun because it always is. I always very much enjoy it, especially considering... What's going to happen this year for it amidst this announcement? But the first thing in Yankees news was that on Monday, it was announced that Derek Jeter is going to be taking part in Old Timers Day in September for the first time since his retirement. And it is going to be the 75th Old Timers Day for those keeping count, which is pretty incredible. And, you know, the Yankees just love to honor their tradition as they should since obviously right now there's not much to be proud of at all. Might as well honor the tradition even more so than they already have. I think it's already a great thing that they've always done. I've always expressed that. And now this year, come September 9th, I believe it is, when Old Timers Day happens, Derek Jeter is going to be a part of it for the first time since he retired. I cannot freaking wait for that. Because personally, the I've been to one Old Timers Day. And the one Old Timers Day I went to was when Hideki Matsui hit the home run. And that was pretty incredible, considering Hideki Matsui was basically my baseball hero that year in 09 when the Yankees won the title, because that was only my third year watching baseball, second full year, because I started watching towards like the end of 07, as I've said many times. And 
in 09 with that team making that run in the playoffs, I mean, Matsui just became my hero. And to go see him hit a home run at Old Timers Day with me there was just an out-of-body experience for me. It was incredible. So being there in person for that was amazing. So I do have a fond memory of Old Timers Day to be able to happily reflect on for the rest of my life. And now, even though, granted, I won't be there, now this year, I get to see my favorite, not only Yankee or baseball player ever, but just my favorite athlete ever. Just my one of my many idols, Derek Jeter, take part in his first old-timers day in his life, and I just can't wait. We've seen a few of the other Core 4 members take part in it plenty, but Jeter's just on another level for me, guys. You have to understand. That's just, <laughs> he's like my icon. That's it. Like, he's it. So... I cannot wait to watch that, and I was overjoyed when this announcement came out when I was in Italy. When that popped up on my phone, I was running around the apartment. I was like, holy crap, Jeter's going to be an old-timer's day. (laughs) I was like so happy, and I'm still happy. I can't wait for it. I don't even care what is going on this year. For that day, it all gets put aside. I'm just going to be ecstatic to see Jeter take part in old-timer's day, and I just love, I love how much more he's just involved in everything with the Yankees, with baseball overall since he left the Marlins organization because he might as well not even exist when he was there because you just never heard anything of him. You never heard from him. And ever since he he departed from that position there with the Miami Marlins, he's been so much more involved with baseball overall, with the Yankees personally, and this being another example of that, I'm just so happy about it. Seeing him be a part of the broadcast crew with Poppy and A-Rod and Kevin Burkhardt, it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome seeing him involved in everything again. I'm so amped about that. So September 9th, and I was able to confirm that. Yes, I was right. September 9th, 75th Old Timers Day. Jeter is going to be a part of it. We will see the captain partake in the festivities. And if anybody can't wait, I can't. I'm <laughs> just so excited. In other news, just some roster news. On Friday, it was announced that the Yankees optioned Randy Vasquez back down to AAA and recalled Greg Weissert. On Monday, they optioned Greg Weissert back down after the weekend series last weekend against the Red Sox. And then after that, out of nowhere, there was actually a flurry of roster moves. A lot of them totally unforeseen. First off, Billy McKinney went to the injured list with lower back spasms. I think it was left lower back spasms, so he's on the injured list. They DFA'd Greg Allen who would also opt for free agency after being DFA'd recently. And who the hell could blame him there? So Greg Allen is officially a free agent. This one was a little bit of a puzzler for me because while Greg Allen isn't doing anything that would necessarily cause riots in light of the announcement of him being DFA'd, I mean, he does come with his pluses. He plays multiple outfield positions. He's a switch hitter. He has speed. I mean, this team is a team that still has Franchi Cordero on the 40-man. If you needed to open a 40-man roster spot, you couldn't just DFA him. I mean, he's just a lefty. He's not too fast. His defense is shoddy at best. I don't really understand DFAing someone like Greg Allen over DFAing someone like that. But in any event, he's gone and he's elected to become a free agent. So that's it for Greg Allen there. And the Yankees actually made a bunch more moves after also announcing they were reinstating Carlos Rodon, so the hamstring thing did end up being a bit short-term, so Rodon has been back. I mean, hell, he pitched today. But they did some things that I was then very happy to hear about because it seems like they're finally starting to see the light with this that the season is really starting to become meaningless. And if that's what it took to help this happen, 
then, I mean, whatever. Because it's been pretty apparent to a lot of us now for weeks that this should start to happen. But they started to pay a little bit more attention to the kids. And in doing this, I mean, they called Oswald Peraza back up. They called up Everson Pereira. So he made his Major League debut just a few days ago. It's been awesome seeing him around. He's been playing a lot of left field. He and Peraza have been playing virtually every day, which is how it should be, especially in a season that has become more or less meaningless at this point. There should be nobody else taking away action from them in their development in the major leagues. So it's great to see Everson Pereira getting big league looks. It's good to see Peraza back. Even if they go through their difficulties, guys, these games don't mean much of anything anymore. It's just important that they get their development at this point. You get a real look about how they are as major leaguers for at least a little while here in the last month, month and a half. It's a good strategy. But even outside of the majors, there's a lot going on down in the minors with a lot of the kids. Jason Dominguez, who's now, as of late, I didn't even know this until very recently, Maybe this just happened recently, but Jason Dominguez, who's now the number two prospect, after Volpe was called up for a while, he was the number one because he was the two before Volpe got called up, he was moved up to one. Now he was moved back down to two for Spencer Jones, who is now the number one prospect in the Yankees system. But in any event, Jason Dominguez, who's been down in double A for a little while now, as we know, he was promoted to triple A. So Jason Dominguez is getting really close. He's in AAA now. Spencer Jones promoted from A-ball to A. So Spencer Jones, the Yankees' number one prospect, lefty hitter, lefty throwing, plus defender, number one prospect. In the outfield, he is promoted to A. And also there was an announcement some days ago that the Yankees could very well see Austin Wells in the major leagues in September. They've been a bit hesitant of late to call him up. They already obviously have... Higgy and Rortvet taking up the catcher role since Trevino went down for the rest of the year, obviously. But it's very possible that in the final month, when the rosters do expand as they always do in September, granted not as much as they used to, but by a couple of players they do, Austin Wells could join the group and we could see him get his first major league looks, which could certainly be interesting because while he does still apparently have some improving with catcher's defense behind the plate, his bat is looking just about as ready as anybody. So in that sense, I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to offer when he gets his major league looks. So if he's up in September, seeing these kids play could be a bright spot in this final month, which is otherwise meaningless, more or less at this point. It's a bright spot. Getting to see these kids get their development in the big leagues. And who knows what that could lead to in 2024, especially after another spring training bout, seeing what they have there and seeing what opportunities could be unlocked for them next year. So, honestly, I truly like the attention being given to the kids here in the final few weeks of the 2023 season because not only do I like it in general, but also what do the Yankees have to lose at this point? Get Peraza some looks down at third base, see what his bats got. You've been a train wreck in left field for basically the entire season if you're the Yankees, so why not give Pereira his looks out there and have him see some major league pitching? And also with Austin Wells, hopefully in September. Maybe his catcher defense improves up here. And you get to see him see some Major League pitching and see what that effective bat does against them. So I, for one, am excited with this. It's a bright spot in my opinion. Also good to hear about Jason Dominguez and Spencer Jones being promoted each. Spencer Jones to A, Dominguez to AAA. Who knows what the future holds for these kids in the next year or two. It could be very exciting. So that's what's happening in Yankees news for now, guys. In this last month, we'll see what they continue to do. We'll see who they call up other than just hopefully Austin Wells when the rosters do expand in September. 
And we'll see how these kids continue to develop as they continue to get major league looks. Oswald Peraza, Everson Pereira, obviously even Anthony Volpe. This is still Anthony Volpe's rookie year. Easy for some of us to forget. He's nearing 20 home runs. So if he does that, he'll be 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. First Yankee shortstop in quite some time to do that, especially as a rookie. So let's just keep watching those kids develop. That's what I say. But other than that, guys, that's really all that's been happening. Yankees news the last couple of weeks. A lot of roster moves happening of late. Guys going on the injured list. Guys coming back. DFA of Greg Allen. Kids being called up. Promoted. Jeter being a part of Old Timers Day. Some good things happening. That's why. Talking about what even still matters. That's one of them. The kids' development. Fun things like Jeter being a part of Old Timers Day. Just certain positives that you got to take out of the season that's been massively negative. Because... There's always going to be some positives, even if a situation is overwhelmingly negative. You could usually still find a couple of things in there. A couple of things, and those are some good things. Jeter being a part of Old Timers Day. Kids getting more looks, being called up, promoted. Those are all good things. Unfortunately, on to a subject of not very good things. Why don't we recap the last couple of weeks of Yankees baseballs, if anybody feels like doing that. I certainly don't, so we'll just fly right through because the last couple of weeks... Certainly nothing good to write home about, so let's just get this over with. Yapping Yankees time machine, let's do it. Alright, my friends, so obviously the last time we spoke was on the 13th, and I actually did already just briefly run through with you before what happened on the 13th. Just a disgraceful blown game in which Garrett Cole deserved another win, final game in Miami, Yankees and Marlins. And the bullpen couldn't help itself but blow it, in combination of Clay Holmes and Tommy Canley ultimately at the very end, just blowing it in the 8th and ninth innings combined, especially in the ninth inning. And the Yankees, in a game that they were winning 7-2 in the 8th inning, ended up losing 8-7 to in utterly disgraceful fashion, as does this team do so often this year. The very next day, they started a three-game series in Atlanta against the Braves. Did anybody see this series going well? (laughs) Did absolutely anybody? Really? If you did, then cockeyed optimist, I guess. I give you credit for it. But the Yankees did actually show some resilience early on because Harrison Bader at the beginning, RBI ground out, got the Yankees on the board early, top of the first. Made it one nothing, but the Braves answered right back on an Austin Riley solo shot. Made it one to one, but the Yankees answered right back in the top of the second with an IKF RBI single. Some rare fight that the team shows at times, but even he was thrown out at second, trying to advance. So that made it two to one, but then right away the Braves jumped out in front and they just did not look back from here. Nicky Lopez RBI single, Michael Harris with an RBI single makes it four to two. Need we go on? <laughs> because then the next time the Yankees scored was all the way in the top of the ninth. Pointlessly, when Anthony Volpe hit an RBI triple and the Yankees were down 11-2. to So when all was said and done, got real ugly, real fast. Clark Schmidt with one of his rare ugly starts in the last bunch of months, because we know Clark has actually otherwise done very well since the first maybe two months of the season, give or take. For a while now, he had been good, but this start against the Braves, can't really blame him because the Braves are a good team, I suppose. But two and a third, nine hits, eight runs allowed. (laughs) So a start that you'd want to forget if you're Clark Schmidt. 11-3 was the final in Atlanta. Horrible game for the Yankees. Next day, 
Actually, next two days, they didn't score at all. Next day, they lost 5 nothing. Luis Severino started the game and didn't have the best of starts. He's definitely had worse, but still not the best. Only four innings, five runs. Only three were earned thanks to an IKF error that would lead to a two-run homer, so those runs were not earned. Five strikeouts, two walks. Not the best of starts. He's had worse, but still not great. Obviously, he would take the loss in the day because the Yankee offense were a collection of corpses yet again. Makes Severino's record 2-8 and eight at the time with an ERA of 798. God almighty. And the bullpen didn't allow any runs after that, but when the offense decided to get one hit the entire game, that's kind of a deciding factor, wouldn't you say so? So, yeah, one hit on the whole night, won by DJ LeMayhew. That's it. (laughs) I promise that you're not going to win any games like that. And the next night wasn't much better because they did not score yet again. An improvement on one hit, they had four. Whoa. (laughs) But in this game, Randy Vasquez started it three and a third, Two hits, two runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Not the best of starts. Didn't give too much length. Michael King actually pitched more than him. Three and two-thirds he put up and didn't allow any runs. So, nice job by King there. But again, you're not going to win any games as long as you don't score a single run. So, the game was basically over already in the bottom of the second, if you think about it in hindsight, because Eddie Rosario put them up 2-0 on a two-run shot. For the Braves, it was 2-0, and that was the final because the Yankees didn't score at all. Braves did no other scoring other than that. Did not back up Randy Vasquez at all. Did not back up Michael King for the effort that he put in. And they both, of course, combined for seven innings of work. Doesn't matter. Only two runs allowed. It's all it takes when you don't score. So they get swept in Atlanta. Thankfully on Thursday, that's what you say every time they have the day off, they had the day off. <laughs> And Friday, unfortunately, they would return to play in Yankee Stadium. They'd come back home after what was definitely a road trip to forget, (laughs) to say the least. Come back home to face the Red Sox, but wasn't any easier for them when they came back home. Right away, starting this game, was Johnny Brito. Right away in the top of the first and the top of the second before you even knew what happened. Ready for this? Justin Turner, RBI single. Masataki Yoshida, three-run shot. Rafael Devers, RBI single in the top of the second. Justin Turner, RBI single. Masataki Yoshida, RBI single. Made it 7 nothing before you even knew what happened to start this game. And one of those seven runs was unearned thanks to a fielding error by Glaber Torres, but nonetheless... Still can't soften the blow of that disaster. Yankees only put up three runs in the night, one in the bottom of the third inning, which was a DJ LeMayhew RBI ground out, and then later in the game in the bottom of the eighth, Aaron Judge hit his 23rd home run of the year, a two-run shot to right field, made it 7-3, and after a Devers RBI single in the top of the ninth to pad their already big lead, Red Sox made it 8-3, and that was the final and at this point, the Yankees just continued to sink further and further below 500 because they were under 500 as of their Wednesday loss to the Braves. They were 16-61, and this weekend just buried them even further. Saturday, the Red Sox would score eight runs again. And if there was going to be a game the Yankees won, you would think it would be this one because Garrett Cole was starting, but even the best of pitchers every once in a while are going to have their off night, guys. Nobody's perfect, so... Garrett, unfortunately, had a 
Pretty ugly night would end up taking the loss. He'd be 10-4 and four after this start. His ERA would creep over 3. It's now back under 3 after his latest start that he thankfully got a win for, which is always very nice because he's been ripped of plenty of those. But 4 innings, 7 hits, 6 runs all earned. Starting with a grand slam in the top of the second <laughs> to the number 9 hitter, Urias. He's been terrible so far, but... What do we get done talking about week after week here on the show about the 2023 Yankees? They make even the worst of baseball players look like the best. And this was another example of that. He had actually just come off of very recently hitting his first career Grand Slam in D.C. Even the Red Sox commentator said that right before this. And after having hit a home run in Yankee Stadium already prior as well, seems like he didn't have enough because here, off a hanging breaking ball, he hit a Grand Slam off a of Garrett Cole, made it 4 to nothing, and with this Yankee offense... When something like that happens, you already feel like the game was over. Spoiler alert, it was. They only kept on adding after that with Connor Wong hitting a two-run shot in the top of the fourth for the fifth and sixth runs of the game, all off Cole. Six-nothing Red Sox. Aaron Judge hit a solo shot in the bottom of the sixth. You got to respect the man for trying, I guess. <laughs> trying to give us any small victories that we could possibly get our hands on. Made it 6-1. to one. Solo shot is 24th homer of the year to straightaway center, but then the Red Sox just kept on adding after that. Ground rule double, RBI double by Pablo Reyes in the top of the eighth. Rafael Devers, solo shot in the top of the ninth, made it 8-1. Final score, 8-1. to one. Judge hitting his solo shot, the only run of the day, and one of just two hits on the afternoon. <laughs> Off of Cutter Crawford. It's the Yankees, guys. That's just them. And a game that they... Really could have won. You felt confident being Saturday with Garrett Cole in the mound. A game that they should have won being this one. The final game against the Red Sox. But obviously they could not seal the deal. Big shocker there. Clark Schmidt started this game. Did not have a bad outing. Five and two-thirds. Four hits. Two runs. Two walks. And eight strikeouts. Really tried to keep him in the game. And the Yankees did a good job at doing that because... I mean, they didn't score a lot of runs, don't get me wrong, not at least before the seventh inning. They only put up two runs, and those two runs were a Kyle Higashioka solo shot to tie the game at one in the bottom of the third, and then a Glaber Torres solo shot to tie the game at two in the bottom of the sixth, so they kept on fighting back every time the Red Sox scored. These are the kind of things you like to see out of the Yankee offense. Doesn't happen too often, but then sometimes it even comes up short, ultimately like it did on this day. But Clark Schmidt kept them in the game. And the offense kept on creeping back whenever they managed to put a run up on the board. But then, right when it seemed like this would be too much and they came back again, it was a lot of good back and forth. Top of the seventh with Michael King in the game. Unfortunately, Justin Turner hit a three-run shot off a of King. So that made it 5-2 Red Sox. At this point, you're thinking, oh my god, top of the seventh, three-run shot off Michael King out of the bullpen late in the game with this Yankee offense game over. But then they kept on showing fight again. They came back a third time. Bottom of the seventh, Anthony Volpe tied the game at three with his 17th homer of the year. A three-run shot to right center. It's a good home run for the rookie. It's a really nice home run. But to be expected, as the Yankee bullpen has had a habit of unfortunately doing for the last month or so now, really random out of them, but I guess even your biggest strengths of the team on a bad team are going to come back down to earth eventually as well. But Clay Holmes, I mentioned it before, Clay Holmes, Tommy Canely, a couple of guys who have really come down to earth as of late. 
and this just continued it for Holmes at least, because he gave up another run in the top of the ninth after Justin Turner hit that big three-run homer in the top of the seventh. I guess he wasn't done yet because off of Clay Holmes, RBI double in the top of the ninth, made it 6-5, to five, and the Yankee offense obviously could not do anything in the bottom of the ninth, even though they probably should have because, I mean, as they often have the tendency of doing, as we know, they did get traffic on the bases, even that's a mission sometimes. But even when they do that, they really can't manage to push many runs across, and this was another example of that. That inning started with Greg Allen hitting a double off the wall in right field, and then DJ LeMahieu getting hit by a pitch, so first and second, nobody out with Judge coming up. Well, he was called out on strikes, Glaber Torres struck out swinging, and Ben Rortvet flew out to center field. Big, fat zero in the bottom of the ninth, and that finished off a disgraceful sweep of the Yankees at the hands of their arch-rivals in Yankee Stadium. Two series in a row. Getting swept now. They'd welcome the Nationals to town. Ten games under five hundred. You'd think it'd get better against them, right? Nope. Just what I was saying before. You can't guarantee victory against any team. This was actually Carlos Rodon's first start coming off the injured list again from that hamstring problem he was having. He did get hit pretty hard at times in this start, but ultimately he only allowed one run, so not a bad start. Six six innings, he did have the six hits, like I said, but the one run, he didn't walk anybody. He only had one strikeout, so he pitched to contact, definitely. And at times he had the defense help him, but you know what? Only one run. This was one of his better starts. Can definitely say that for sure, regardless. So, not too much to complain about there. But the thing you can complain about, as usual, is... If only the Yankee offense knew how to hit. Because other than just putting up one run in the bottom of the third on a Ben Rortvet solo shot, line drive to right field, against the Nationals, who put out Josiah Gray out there to pitch, who is a good pitcher, yes. He has an ERA in the mid to high-ish threes. Six innings, one run this time out. He walked five people, so the Yankees got their traffic on the bases, even though they only got two hits. But the Nationals almost tried to hand them opportunities to score, and the Yankees, as usual, just like, no, we're good. We're fine here. So, despite all that, no runs really coming home other than the Ben Rortvet solo shot with no one on base. Only two hits on the day, both by Rortvet. So if not by Rortvet, they would have gotten no hit by the Washington Nationals. (laughs) If you really think about it. Let that sink in for a second. By the Washington Nationals. And this is a lineup not missing too many people other than really like Anthony Rizzo at this point. They had LeMahieu, Judge, Glaber, Stanton, Volpe, Bader, Pereira, Peraza, granted their kids, but still. I mean, you want to tell me that that one through six of experienced hitters, I mean, Volpe, yes, he's in his rookie year, I know. But he has been playing the whole year up to this point, but especially one through four and six. Experienced players out there. None of them could get a hit. Even for the recent past right now, even Judge has been a little bit slower. I mean, yes, he definitely did have those four home runs in just those two games. Absolutely incredible, three home runs in one. But outside of those, even he's been slowing down a bit lately. And even he didn't get a hit on this day. He went, he had three strikeouts. It's just what the team has become, guys. So they only put up one run on the whole day. And then in the top of the eighth, when... Canely allowed a solo shot to C.J. Abrams, giving the Nationals a 2-1 to lead. The Yankee offense was dead, guys. They didn't do anything. Nothing. So they couldn't come back. Didn't do anything in 
the bottom of the eighth, went down one, two, three. And in the bottom of the ninth, other than Harrison Bader walking, because a lot of players did that on this particular game, but still couldn't amount to anything, didn't do anything in the bottom of the ninth, and they looked like just a completely dead ball club against a terrible team, losing two to one. Wednesday put out a bulletin, because this is one of those days throughout each week, maybe one or two days a week if you're lucky, you'll see the Yankee offense actually do their jobs. (laughs) That combined with a pleasant surprise in this start, something that we really haven't seen much at all since his return, but Luis Severino, believe it or not, hard for me to believe too, actually put up what was by far, in my opinion, his best outing since his return from the injured list months ago. He actually looked really good. And even though I've been really hard on him, and I'm still not giving him any sort of a pass because he has been that brutal, I'm not changing up on that because it's just the facts. I mean, even he would tell you that. But I do have to say, and I'm I'm still a Yankee fan, you know, always will be, so I got to take my positives where I can get them, and I still give credit where credit is due. He was terrific in this six and two-thirds, one hit, no runs, only two walks. He did only strike out two, but still looked absolutely terrific. And I do have to say, I was very happy for him because seeing how miserable he was before, even though I'm hard on the guy, that doesn't mean I want him to fail or that I get pleasure out of him failing and looking miserable at every turn that you see him. It's not what that means at all. What made me happy was seeing that on his way back to the dugout after this performance, granted it was against the Nationals team, but I don't care. The Yankees tend to make any team look good, so I'll take anything good that I can get anywhere against any opponent. But one thing that gave me great joy to see was seeing the look on Luis Severino's face as he was walking back to the dugout when his teammates welcomed him back in, the smile on his face, a grin from ear to ear, like we have not seen from him probably since he came back from the injured list, to be honest, at the very beginning. It was really nice to see, really wholesome, very deserved, because he went out there and pitched his ass off. So good on him for that. So he gave a great outing. The only run on the whole day given up to the Nationals was at the very end of the game in the ninth inning by Wandy Peralta. But other than that, the offense, as they rarely do, did their job. Bottom of the first, Aaron Judge, the first of three home runs on his day. I was talking about this earlier, having four home runs in two and three home runs in one. This was the day we had the three home runs. First in the bottom of the first is 25th of the year. Put the Yankees on the board one to nothing. And reaching on a fielder's choice but driving home a run was Everson Pereira in the bottom of the second. Good to see that. Gave the Yankees a 2-0 lead. And with the bases loaded, shortly after that, Aaron Judge hits a grand slam to center field. His second home run of the day. A grand slam putting the Yankees up 6-0 for the captain. Epic stuff. Bottom of the seventh, DJ with another home run. We've mentioned that he has been looking better power-wise of late, so it's good to see. Solo shot put them up 7-0. And then, for the third time on the night, right after that, Aaron Judge with his 27th of the year, third on the night to right field into the short porch a few rows back. He hit a solo shot to put the Yankees up 8-0. The stadium went wild. Even I was excited because anything involving Aaron Judge is going to get me happy, first of all. But second of all, it's been a while since we have seen three home runs in one game. I'm pretty sure the last time that happened was Anthony Rizzo. But any Yankee doing that, it's been some time. But seeing the captain do it is always going to make me happier than just about anybody. So 
And plus, with the Yankee offense doing what they do, or I guess don't do, most nights, when they have a night like this, you just gotta gotta have fun with it. Because then it's very likely the next day, they're just gonna be nowhere to be found. <laughs> so, it's a safe bet. After that, after he capped off his epic night with his third home run, did the captain. Anthony Volpe followed that with an RBI single, made it 9 nothing, And the final, of course, as I said before, 9-1. to So you're hoping, going into Thursday of this past week, after having faced a horrible team, that you could at least take the series against said horrible team. Wishful thinking. Shame if it is, they were in a good position to do it. Because they were winning for some time until the very end. Michael King actually opened up this game, only allowing one run and two and a third. And it actually wasn't even earned. Unfortunately, Anthony Volpe made a crucial error at shortstop to allow the game to get tied up at one. So safe to say King did his job. So no hard feelings there. And then obviously it was a stacked up bullpen day after that. With Middleton pitching, the one of the Yankees got at the trade deadline. Brito came in, allowed a run. Canely, get to him later. Abreu pitched a scoreless inning. And then Clay Holmes, ultimately at the end, had a train wreck of an outing yet again as well. So Canely and Holmes, again, that's what I was saying before. But how did the Yankees initially start the scoring? Because I said that that error at shortstop allowed the Nationals to tie the game at one. Well, the first run of the game was on another solo shot by the captain. Like I said, four home runs in those last two games, and the fourth one coming in the first at-bat of the next day. So obviously, after his bat slowed down a bit of late, it's really good to see him having gone on an absolute tear. Granted, it was against the Nationals, but again, you got to take any small victory that you could get with this Yankee team, especially if it involves the captain. So that was awesome to see. The stadium erupted, and so that put the Yankees in the lead early, but then again, obviously... Volpe's error allowed the game to be tied up at one. Bottom of the third, though, Glaber Torres with his 20th home run of the year. Hit a two-run shot, putting the Yankees up 3-1. to one. And for a while, you were feeling good because the bullpen kept them down for some time. That was until the top of the seventh when Tommy Canely came in and did what he has done, unfortunately, so often of late. Yet again, allowing three runs to the Nationals in just two-thirds of an inning, allowing them to take a 5-3 to lead. Just when you thought you were heading to the back end of the Yankee bullpen, didn't matter. Couldn't hold on to it. That's what I say every time. Even if they were considered a strength for so many months, this team will never stop finding ways to lose, and now you got to reevaluate who you have in that circle of trust at the back end of that bullpen. Can you afford to keep putting Canely and Holmes out there for as often as they do? Because of late, they have not been trustworthy. So, it's a big problem. It was just really annoying to watch. RBI single, two-run shot, solo shot, before you knew it. So, bottom of the eighth, the Yankees managed to inch a bit closer, though. Stanton hit a solo shot, his 19th homer of the year. That made it 5-4. to four. And in case anybody cares, by the way, he continues to inch closer to 400 career home runs, just a couple away at this point. Real quick on Stanton, though, I had some people ask me for my take on him because I've I've been very vocal about it on this show, at least when I spoke two weeks ago, and I've been vocal about it on Twitter here and there. I'm as big a Stanton defender as anybody. You guys know that, but even for me, he's just become really hard to defend. I don't even care when he hits the ball really hard anymore at times. 
and this is not me turning on him, it's just me telling the truth about him. And even he's spoken this way very frankly about himself. So it is what it is, guys. It's just the truth. But I don't care if he hits a ball hard anymore. I don't care if his swing starts to look good or he's making better contact. It's just gotten so bad with him and so undefendable, really, that if the results aren't there, then he's just got to be better. I mean, it's been miserable watching him play the vast majority of the time. He'll have his flashes where he looks good. He'll get a lot of hits in one game, or he'll go on a bit of a home run tear for a few days, but then it's just back to the same old thing. Ugly swings, just not getting the job done at all. And he'll be the first to tell you that. So, that's basically where I'm at with him. Hope it changes, but I don't know. I don't really see there being much motivation to do so when the team is in the state that they're in right now. But this 19th home run, nonetheless, in case anybody cares, did inch him closer to 400 career home runs. And in the top of the ninth, like I mentioned before, Clay Holmes did nothing to keep the game within just one run because he allowed an RBI single himself, make it 6-4. And Stanton again, in the bottom of the ninth, got an RBI single, make it 6-5. But then Bader couldn't come through to complete a potential bottom of the ninth rally and make a full-on comeback. And the Yankees would fall 6-5 to five in a game that they definitely should have won. And here we are yet again with the Yankees losing another disgusting series against an awful team that they very well should not have lost. Plenty of examples of this throughout the entire season, let alone just in the second half alone already. So, like I said, you look at your positives. Stanton 4-5 for five on this day, coming through again in the bottom of the ninth and in the bottom of the eighth when he hit that solo shot so he tried to contribute to a comeback a potential comeback but and and Glaber Torres as well with his home run going three for five but other than that ultimately it's just the same thing another disgraceful loss that's really it Friday they moved on to Tampa hit the road again this past weekend Friday actually was not a bad game I mean the first half was a snooze fest because Garrett Cole's on the mound for the Yankees, and Zach Eflin was pitching, and neither one was allowing the other to score at all. Until the top of the fifth, there was no action whatsoever. So, in the middle of the game, in that top of the fifth, DJ actually got the Yankees on the board as he continues to swing a power bat. Solo shot his 10th home run of the year, put the Yankees on the board. It was one to nothing. Everson Pereira, who obviously got his first major league hits this past week since being called up. It's good to see. Got another one here, an RBI single to put the Yankees up 2-0 in the top of the 6th. Rays inched closer a bit in the bottom of the 6th on the one run that they would score off of Garrett Cole. Yandy Diaz hit a solo shot, made it 2-1, and Yandy Diaz being one of multiple Rays players who would have a lot of talking today in light of what happened. We'll get to that in a bit. But solo shot here made it 2-1. Then the Yankees answered right back in the top of the 7th. RBI ground rule double by Glaber made it 3-1, and then a two-run double by Stanton made it 5-1 Yankees. And another solo shot by DJ in the top of the eighth, his 11th homer of the year, made it 6-1. And the Rays would just put another on the board on a Brandon Lau RBI single, made it 6-2, and that would be the final. So ultimately in this game, Garrett Cole, a terrific game pitched, 7 and two-thirds innings, Three hits, two runs, one of them earned, being the Diaz solo shot that I told you about before. The other one that came home in the bottom of the eighth, well, that was thanks to the Oswald Peraza error to start the bottom of the eighth. So that run was not earned for Garrett. The only real one he allowed on the day was the Diaz solo shot, so a terrific start for him. 
and on the day striking out 11 guys, not walking a single one. And obviously Luizaga would pitch the final inning in a third scoreless. So that was all good to see. Garrett Cole, terrific start, getting an earned win finally. After all the wins that he's had stripped away from him, as I always say, it's beyond irritating as Garrett Cole continues what will hopefully be an ultimate Cy Young campaign in 2023 which would be one of very few bright spots of this disastrous season. So I hope he continues on that path, and this was a good way to do that in this start against a team like Tampa. And it was a good win to start a tough series. Wouldn't last, though, because the very next day, like I spoke about, six-run night for the Yankees the night prior. Next day, it's a safe bet that they will go completely missing, did the offense, and it was a safe bet. It was successful this time. Clark Schmidt... He even went out there and pitched six and two-thirds innings. It was the longest start for him this year. Allowed three runs, but only one was earned, mainly thanks to an IKF error down at third base. Some more terrific Yankee defense, as we've seen so often this year. (laughs) Another thing, just the defense on this team, wow. Just wow. That's really all you could say. But all the runs were put up on the board in the second and third innings by the Rays. And again, only one was earned. So Clark otherwise had himself... A very nice start. Then after that, Wandy Peralta got an out from the finish off the seventh, and Middleton pitched a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Yankee offense, no runs scored, two hits on the entire night, both of them by DJ LeMayhew. So again, if not for one guy, would have gotten no hit. <laughs> That's that is the Yankee offense so many times at this point that you just feel like you're beating a dead horse at this point. It's just really aggravating to have to talk about day in and day out. It really is. And then you have today's game, which was filled with some good back-and-forth action, benches-clearing action as well, but then ultimately, of course, it ended up with the Yankees' loss, as so many games do, which also then results in yet another series loss. Big shocker there. The final was 7-4. to Carlos Rodon pitched today's game. He ended up going 4-2 and thirds before his pitch count just got a bit too high, and The circumstances definitely deemed that a switch should be made to Ian Hamilton at the time, and he did end up getting them out of that jam in the fifth inning, only to allow four runs in the following inning (laughs) to put the Rays back in the lead. But anyway, Carlos Rodon's final pitching line, four and two-thirds, so not too much length. Four hits, two runs, two walks, and seven strikeouts. So he did get a good amount of strikeouts, kept them off the board decently, and didn't have a disastrous start. Wasn't as good as his first start back off the hamstring problem, But I wouldn't say it was a disastrous start either by any means. So it was eh, I guess. Maybe just in the sense that he could have given a bit more length and have been a bit more economical. But the Yankees were actually winning 4-2 when he was done. So by the time he left, he was in line for the win. He was actually looking pretty good. The only runs that he did give up were on two errors on defense and then a solo shot by Brandon Lau. But before that... Just a matter of the Yankees doing their usual clown show 2023 crap defensively, where Randy Rosarena was stealing second. Kyle Higashioka just airmailed the throw right in the center field, right to Harrison Bader. And then Bader makes a bad throw to third base that Peraza can't handle, so the throw gets by him, allowing Rosarena to come all the way around to score. <laughs> so, like I said, usual clown show crap by the Yankees. And then Brandon Lau hit his solo shot to put them up 2 nothing. So one could argue that one of the runs was not even Rodon's fault. And then after that, he went scoreless until he was done, obviously. 
but the Yankees did come back from that. Solo shot by Higgy, solo shot by DJ, two-run shot by Volpe. We went through this briefly before. But then in the bottom of the sixth, when Ian Hamilton came back out after bailing Rodon out in the fifth, it all just came falling apart. Harold Ramirez reaching for a ball damn near in the dirt for a two-run single. Made it 4-4, to tied the game up. And then Brandon Lau again after a solo shot in the bottom of the first inning wasn't done after that. Two-run single to put them in the lead to right field. That made it 6-4 to raise. And then in the bottom of the eighth, he still wasn't done because he had an RBI double off Albert Abreu. Made it 7-4, to driving home Randy Rosarena after all the benches-clearing drama, and that would obviously be the final score, 7-4, to as we are now fully caught up. And a lot of people ask me to give my opinion about the benches-clearing thing between the Yankees and Rays at the end of the game. To be honest, I thought it was a lot of fake tough guy crap. I understand that frustrations may be boiling over for the Rays because the Yankees have been hitting them with quite a few pitches lately. And this all started because Albert Abreu hit Randy Rosarena with a fastball in the ribs in the bottom of the eighth. So listen, I get that frustrations boil over. I understand that. He had to be held back for a while. And then after, he ended up stealing two bases. And then there were some words exchanged after that when Rosarena got up. I just feel like if anybody really wanted to fight, then it would have happened after the first exchange, right after the hit-by-pitch, when Rosarena was standing at first and had a clear path to Abreu if he wanted a charge by chance from first base, and then also from the time that elapsed between when he got up after stealing third, and then when the words were exchanged when he was walking back up the baseline between third and second, they started to mouth off at each other again. I mean, I kind of think that if any fight was actually going to happen and anybody was serious about fighting, that it would have happened in either of those opportunities where there were there was a lot of time to charge and there was an open path, but nothing even happened. So I think it was just a couple of guys getting mouthy with each other, to be honest. I didn't make too much of it. And then obviously a lot of Yankee fans are bent out of shape because of what the Rays said in the post game. I think Brendan Lau even took a shot at the Yankees for saying, oh, we can't really worry about it. They're a last-place team. <sighs> Listen... It is what it is. I mean, and then Ian Hamilton goes out there and makes a quote and says, well, if they want to come, then they can come right to us. And then adding on even further by saying, I wish we had another game against them. And I'd be very careful crossing into that territory, Ian, because these days you guys look like you could lose to a high school varsity team. So I'd be very careful when talking about wanting another game against any major league team, let alone the Tampa Bay Rays. So being in last place in the situation you're in, it's really tough for anybody to take you seriously if you're going to get mouthy on the Yankees' behalf. I don't mean to go after my own team in that sense, but I mean it's just the, the objective truth given the circumstances, guys, so I don't know what you want from me. But also the Rays taking shots by calling them last-place team. I mean, they are last-place team. So, I mean, those digs, you know, just take the— if you're the Yankees, just take those as motivation for next year. Take it to them next year. Do something about it. Do your talking on the field. Shut them up with your bats. I don't mean crack them over the heads with them. I mean get hits, score runs with them, pitch well, play good defense. Shut them up on the field if you don't want teams making remarks about you like this. That's just a bunch of mouthy crap. Don't waste your time with it. It doesn't matter. Their opinions are irrelevant. Frustrations boiled over because they had been getting hit by pitches. Was it done on purpose? I highly doubt it because I doubt Albert Abreu is out here actively seeking to hit anybody with a pitch down two runs. But they're going to be frustrated about it. Fine, let them be. Use it as motivation if you're the Yankees. Let them talk. It's just words. Let them talk. 
And then let your gameplay do the talking, I guess, next year. Because anything you do this year just makes you look like a bunch of fools. So, other than that, that's really all you could do. Definitely don't wish you had another game against them. Because that comment is just going to get you laughed out of the room. If any Yankee makes that sort of comment, like Ian Hamilton did. I just wouldn't do that. <laughs> that's just very, that's a silly quote to make, to be honest. He has a right to say it, obviously. Everybody's got a right to their opinion and say whatever they want. Almost anything they want. But... That's obviously a foolish quote. That's just irrationally talking yourselves up as a big game when, I mean, even someone like the Nationals can beat you. It's just, it's not a good look. Because one thing the Yankees have to understand right now is that nobody is afraid of them anymore. Absolutely no one. And if quotes like this, these routine quotes that are put out by these opposing teams, especially their biggest rivals in the division, the, these quotes that are constantly out there about the Yankees not being a threat, and even even analysts... All across different sports networks and baseball networks saying these things, the Yankees are not intimidating. They're not. So any comment they make like that is just going to get them laughed out of the room, objectively. Because in reality, this year they've proven to be a gutless, last-place team. That's simply what Brandon Lau called them, basically, taking that dig at them, saying, "Look at looking at it in a different view, that's a last-place team, we don't need to worry about it. That's really the perspective. If you're in their position... The Rays are fighting for something big right now. They're still trying to chase the Orioles down for first place in the division, only two games behind them at this point. They're trying to stay atop that first wild card and stay in a good position for the playoffs. And they got to keep playing hard all the way through to the end. They're not going to concern themselves with crap having to do with the last place Yankees. That's just how it is. I mean, you want to get really low and attack the Rays for, you know, on the subject of losing guys because Brandon Lau mentioned that too. Oh, it's much much bigger deal if we, if we lose guys as opposed to them losing guys. And then you could low blow them by talking about, oh, well, you guys just lost one of your biggest ones to pedophilia. Yeah, you can mention that if you want to get low. But the fact of the matter is, Brandon Lau is also not incorrect. And yes, for those who don't know that, Wander Franco, he's restricted right now, not allowed to play because he's currently being investigated for pedophilia based on some social media posts about him. So... That's the deal with that. Nauseating stuff, obviously, and if it proves to be true, I hope he's punished accordingly. That goes without saying. But everything else that Brendan Lau said about the Yankees being a last-place team, not having to worry about it, we got a lot going on ourselves right now that we need to do going down the stretch. That's true. <laughs> Whether part of that quote be a dig about the Yankees or not, nobody's scared of him anymore. Nobody. Especially the last bunch of years. We've talked about it a lot. Basically post-2019. 2020, the Yankees only finished a handful of games over 500, and that messed up shortened season and immediately got eliminated by the Rays. 2021, humiliating elimination in the wild card game against the Red Sox. Last year, humiliated by their rivals, the Astros. Arch rivals as of the last few years, I think it's safe to say. And now this year, they're not even going to make the playoffs. So, after the last near half decade of nothing but embarrassments, it's just the way it is, guys. I hate it. I hate it with every fiber of my being, but it's just resulted in nobody caring, really, or being afraid of the Yankees at all. They're not feared. They're not respected at all. And if these continued quotes coming out about them aren't enough to show you that, then I don't know what is. I hate that it's this way. I wish it wasn't, but it's, it's where we've landed now. It's not me not defending my team or not being a true fan. Not sticking up for my team. I come on this show to tell you objectively 
what the deal is. If anybody out there doesn't like the objective truth being put out there, that's totally fine. You don't have to listen. But that's the state that the Yankees are in right now. Teams digging them because they're without spirit. They don't have any fight. They're in last place. They're not intimidating. Well, it's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm sorry if you don't like being reminded of that. I'm sorry if you don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear it. But it's still the truth. Drives me insane, as I'm sure it does you too. Because we all care about the Yankees. We all love the Yankees. We don't want them to be laughed at. We don't want them to be the laughing stock of the league. But it's hard for them not to be when they go out there and play the way they do. And they make certain quotes the way they do. Even Ian Hamilton, people are jumping down his throat after saying, oh, I wish we had more games against them. Because that is a foolish thing to say right now. Even weeks ago when the Yankees had the game, the 18 strikeout game, when Aaron Boone basically went to the media, and yes, later on with John Boy, I think he admitted that this was a foolish thing to say because it objectively was. But he went to the media in the postgame and was like, well, other than the strikeouts, I thought we did pretty well. The next two to three days or so was just filled with the entire baseball community laughing at the Yankees, putting out all these different kinds of analogies, saying, oh yeah, other than the iceberg, the Titanic voyage was beautiful. How was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? And then even I got in on it, because how do you not? I was saying, oh yeah, my buddy's marriage went great, other than those times where his spouse cheated on him five times. If you get rid of that, I mean, other than that, the marriage was great. Come on. It's just these stupid things. And just when you think they can't get worse, or they can't get worse with their gameplay, or their quotes, or they just, there's no bottom. (laughs) There's no rock bottom with the Yankees. That's the incredible thing. Just when you think they can't make themselves look worse, whether it be on the field or off the field, they do. That's the unbelievable thing, truly, about the 2023 team. Unreal. Alright, so enough piling on. They do that enough to themselves. They don't need me to add on to it. What's ahead for the Yankees, you might ask? Well, going forward, I'm actually going to give the next two weeks because I forgot to say this at the start of the show. I'm actually not doing a show again next Sunday because my girlfriend and I are actually going to a trip up at Lake George. So I will not be around to do the show. I'm not taking my equipment with me. We're just taking Labor Day weekend to lay back and relax. You know? So next Sunday... There will not be a show, but obviously I will return on Sunday, September 10th, which will be the day after Old Timers Day, number one, but also number two, the day before, one of the more somber days of the year, obviously being September 11th, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that as well a little bit. And I really do wish baseball did 9-11 the way they did in 2021 every year. I wish they went back to doing this. They didn't do it last year because... Last year on the 11th, they played the Rays at home, and then on the 11th this year, they're going to be playing the Red Sox at Fenway. So, I do wish they did it with the Yankees and Mets. I think the Yankees and Mets should play each other every 9-11, because when they did it for the 20th on September 11th, 2021, for the 20th anniversary, that was just amazing. So... Unfortunately, that won't be happening again. I think they should go back to doing that. But the Yankees are facing the Red Sox for that. But anyways, back to my original point. That'll be the next time we talk, the day before that, on September 10th. Because again, my girlfriend and I are taking a trip 
for next weekend for Labor Day weekend. So I will be off next Sunday, the 3rd. But taking that into account, we're going to be doing, I'm going to be previewing the next two weeks of action. So starting tomorrow, the Yankees do not have an off day at all this coming week, either tomorrow or Thursday. They start a four-game set in Detroit tomorrow night at 6.40 p.m. Eastern. Luis Severino is set to pitch for the Yankees tomorrow. You have another 6.40 game on Tuesday, the 29th, with Michael King set to open that game in Detroit. Wednesday, another 6.40 game. And Cole is expected to take the mound again for that one, for the third game of the four-game set. And finally, on Thursday, the Yankees being just one of four games on Thursday, the 31st, Clark Schmidt is in line to take the mound for the fourth and final game in Detroit and the final day of August as well, might I add. Friday, September 1st, the Yankees head to Houston for a three-game set. God help them. That first game, the pitching matchups obviously have not been announced. It will be played at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. Saturday, September 2nd, will be at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. And next Sunday, this will be on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, obviously, the 3rd. 7.10 p.m. Eastern, again, the Yankees and Astros wrapping up their season series and their three-game set next weekend, next Sunday in Houston, 7.10 p.m. Eastern. Monday the 4th, the Yankees are not playing. They come back on Tuesday to play the Tigers again, but this time at Yankee Stadium. 7.05 Eastern, Tuesday the 5th, 7.05 Eastern on Wednesday as well, and the same for Thursday the 7th. And then on Friday, they continue their homestand after taking on the Tigers. They will welcome the Brewers into town. Friday's game will be at 7.05 p.m. Eastern. Saturday the 9th will be at 2.05 Eastern. And Sunday, September 10th, and we speak again, that'll be at 1.35 Eastern. So that is what's ahead for the next two weeks, since again, I will be off again next Sunday the 3rd. Let us wrap up this episode, guys, as always, with our final segment, the social media segment, which is what I was talking about at the end of my intro spiel from before. Really having to do with the episode title, What Even Really Still Matters? That's really the overall census of this episode amidst talking about everything that I did in the intro and talking about the games these last two weeks, the trend that they've continued to be on. And after all that, where the Yankees continue to find themselves now as we get ready to finish up the month of August and head into the final full month of the regular season in 2023. Asking ourselves, given the circumstances right now, what even really still matters with the Yankees? This is really more or less, in longer form, the question that I asked, the open-ended question for the social media segment that I had for today, being, with the season's final month coming and the Yanks most likely missing the playoffs, still got to include the most likely at least a little bit as long as they're not mathematically eliminated, what's the most important thing or things you'd still like to see before the end of the season? anything at all to fire them off, what you'd like to see, what you think we need to see, if anything, with the remaining games that the Yankees have, regardless of the fact that they are 99% likely to be, or more than that, meaningless from here on out. I personally put a little bit of a list together myself, a couple of them being things that I've mentioned already throughout this episode, things that I would like to see. I'll start off first with that being with Garrett Cole, what I mentioned before. I would really like to see him finish off this final stretch for 2023, finalizing his numbers to make them officially good enough to win the Cy Young and being the first Yankees Cy Young in over 20 years at that. I would really like to see that. 
even if he still does manage to make it to around 15 wins, obviously if he does make it to around that total, he will have deserved probably around 20 given all the wins that the team took away from him this year. Obviously, like every pitcher does, he also probably got a couple of wins here and there that he didn't deserve to get, but that's just the name of the season. It's a long season, things happen. But that's also why I really don't make anything of the win-loss record. I just think it's a stupid stat. I've always been very vocal about that from the beginning. And his ERA could afford to be a little bit lower than it was now because that bad start against Boston really beefed it up. It was really in like the 270s, 260s, and that bad start allowing those six runs inflated all the way up to around three. Then now he was just able to put it down to 295. Hope he lowers it a bit more. The strikeouts are going to keep going. Obviously, I expect him to finish probably anywhere from like 230 to like 250 strikeouts, give or take, in that window, give or take. So with those numbers, hopefully it'll be enough to win. Not many others contend for that, obviously, because any others who do, they've also missed time due to injury like Nathan Evaldi, for instance. Got to take things like that into account because while his ERA is 269, he's only pitched in the 120s in innings to Garrett Cole's 168. And he started 19 games as opposed to Garrett Cole's 27. So Cole's definitely going to have at least like 32 starts if he remains healthy. He had 33 last year. Expected to have a similar amount this year. 295, he is leading the American League in, in ERA with that with the amount of starts he has and the amount of innings he's logged. And granted that he should have a lot more wins than he does have. He's 11-4, and four, which already is a good record. I mean, I would think he deserves to, ultimately at the end of the year, if he does have a strong last month or so, I would think that he would deserve to have at least 18-20 to 20 wins when all is said and done. Obviously, the strikeouts are probably going to be hovering anywhere from 230 to 250, if I had to say, ish, give or take. Last year, he gave up 33 home runs. This year, he's only given up 18 as we get ready to finish up August, so the home runs have been massively corrected, that's for sure. So, as long as he continues on this path, and he doesn't have any starts where he allows like six runs, like he did against the Red Sox, anything big like that, I think it's pretty safe that he could very well win the Cy Young, which I would love to see. I think it would be such a great positive for the Yankees in an otherwise inexcusable season. So I would love to see that. That's number one. Number two... I would love to see the kids continue to be called up and promoted and get their further development and see them further progress on their way to the major leagues, especially for the ones who aren't here yet, like Jason and Spencer and Austin. I would love to see them continue towards the major leagues, and I would love to see guys like Volpe and especially Peraza and Pereira who were just called up, Peraza called back up and Pereira called up for the first time, continue to get their major league looks and see what it is they truly have for as long as we could possibly see. I would love to see that. Number three, for me, it would be awesome, even though he's been slumping a little bit, except for that those four home runs in the two games, obviously, against the Nationals. But it would be awesome to see Judge still manage to notch 40 home runs, even in missing what will probably ultimately be like 50-plus games. Actually, I can notch that math right now, because he's played 76 games after today's game against Tampa. The Yankees have 32 games left. So... At the most, he can play 32 games. You have to imagine he'll get maybe another day or two off at least in that. So let's say 30 more games will have played 106. Let's say he plays the last 32, all 32, because you could also DH him as they've done many times. So at the most, he can play 108 games this year, which would be 54 games missed. 
So yeah, 50 plus, that's a good number. That's a good range. So even though he would have he will have missed that many games, if he even does play all the last 32 games, he'll have played 108. To hit 40 home runs in that time span is still pretty crazy. After the 73rd game when he had 28 home runs, I did the math. And in a 162-game span, if he were to play all 162 this year, given that pace, 28 home runs in 73 games. After I did the math to see what that pace would do over a 162-game span, the math revealed that he still would have hit anywhere from like 61 to 63 home runs, basically last year's pace which is what he was doing or even slightly better before he had the long-term toe injury, as we know. So to think that he could come anywhere close to last year's pace as far as home runs, and even slightly better than that in certain other statistics prior to the toe injury, because obviously we know of ladies slowed down a bit, so that's changed in other areas, but to even think that to be possible, it's incomprehensible and just shows you how amazing Aaron Judge is, despite the fact that he's been slumping a bit of late. So, even though he would miss over 50 games, even if he played every single one of the remaining 32 games in this year, he'd have 108 games if he did that under his belt this year. As opposed to the last couple years where he was massively healthy. Basically completely healthy. To still hit 40 home runs in just a little bit over 100 games would be incredible. It'd be awesome to see that. And I think just about anybody still hitting 40 home runs in lieu of missing that much time would be pretty amazing. Aaron Judge being around is good for the Yankees, especially in a season like this. And it's good for the sport. And the more amazing things that we could see him do, the better. Especially when you love him as much as I do. So, that would be the third thing, if I had to say, that I would really like to see. Not something that's a must or really high up on the list of importance, but I'd really like to see it. And the fourth, if I just had to possibly name something, because I really started to run out of things already after number three, but the fourth, if I had to say, just putting myself as a fan in the perspective and the shoes of other fans who are fans of teams that just fail almost every year, which is a very strange thing to do as a Yankee fan because we aren't really ever put in this position, really ever. Because you think about it, they've had winning seasons every year for over three decades. The last time they didn't was 1992. For those people wondering when the last time was they finished with a record under 500, since that looks to be very possible to being a potential reality this year. And in this millennium of the 2000s, this would only be the fifth time missing the playoffs. 2008, 2013... 2014, 2016, and now. Since 2000. And even before that, you're talking nearly 30 years since the early 90s. Granted, the playoffs weren't played in 94 because of the shortened season. They were 70 and 43 that year. But now you're talking 93, which was 30 years ago. This would only be the fifth time in 30 years that they missed the playoffs. Because 94... Obviously, the season didn't get to be finished out. The 113 games it was done with. 95, they made the playoffs. 96, 97, 98, they made the playoffs. 96 and 98, they won the World Series, as did they in 99 and 2000. 2001 through to 2007, they made the playoffs all those years, but they obviously just didn't win the World Series. Made it to the World Series a couple of times, didn't win. 01 and 03. 2008, they missed the playoffs. And then the only other times they missed was 13, 14, and 16. 
So in 30 years, 30 years, more so than my lifespan, this will only be the fifth time they miss the playoffs. So this is, again, my point from before is this is territory and a mindset that the Yankee fan the last bunch of decades typically does not have to think like. This is where my fourth point comes in when it comes to this being highly unexplored territory. I had to put my mind in the shoes of other fans who deal with teams who are almost never successful or completely never successful. Usually what they like to do, and I see fans always doing this whenever the Yankees are in a position of of strength in first place, they're ready to go to the playoffs. What I notice that other fans like to rag on the Yankees for is that whenever they beat the Yankees down the line, if the Yankees are playing important games, they always have a fun time ruining the Yankees' chances and being a real roadblock and playing them tough when they can't afford to lose these important games. So now that the Yankees are actually in that position where they're non-competitive, out of the wild card race, basically, maybe not mathematically, but virtually, definitely, and completely out of it with the division in dead last place, now it's time for the Yankees to do that to other teams, I guess, because that's really the only other way that you give yourself any sort of value in a meaningless rest of the season. Whenever you play your higher-up opponents, whenever they're in the midst of tough games, play them tough. Beat them. Get in the way of their goals. Why not? When you have nothing else to play for. So that's really my fourth point, just things I would like to see before the end of the season. Just try to give contending teams who are fighting for something a hard time. Like those dead teams who are usually dead, usually due to the Yankees, when the Yankees are playing those important games. Do it to them. What do you got to lose? So those are the four things I'd love to see. Cole Cy Young, the kids continue to get their playing time in the major leagues and or promoted and continue to develop and progress. Judge possibly hitting 40 home runs, missing over 50 games, and giving contending teams a hard time. If I had to say, I guess... That's my compiled list of four things if I had to think of certain things. Let's hear what you guys had to say real quick, just for maybe like 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll wrap up here for episode 193. Up first, we have at Yankee Ken saying, Bring up Wells and Jason Dominguez. Play Everson, Pereira, and Peraza as much as possible. See what you have with these young guys. Yeah, that's part of what I was talking about before with the kids. I'm pretty sure we'll be seeing Wells in September. I doubt Jason Dominguez because he was literally just bought up to AAA. So Dominguez is probably not going to be a part of it, if I had to say, pretty comfortably. I'll be surprised if anything else happens. But Wells, I'd be shocked if we don't see him in September as part of the expanded roster call-ups. I'd be shocked. And Pereira and Peraza, yeah, they should absolutely play every single day. There was actually a report I saw the other day that the Yankees would be willing to try to activate and possibly even play Donaldson at least activate Donaldson before the season ends, which I don't really even know how that's possible if his strain really was a grade two or three, because that's like months and months and months. He should have easily been out the entire season. He might still be, but the possibility of him being activated even before the season ends is crazy and suggests to me that the strain might not have been quite as severe as they originally said. But even if he is activated, he better stay on that damn bench, man, because in a meaningless season... I don't care how much money you're paying the guy. If you give him even a minute's worth of playing time over any of the kids who need as much development as possible, seeing as much major league action as possible in guys like Peraza and Pereira, then you are truly a brain-dead organization. 
They had better not do that. I will flip a couch. <laughs> I swear. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God almighty. So, yeah, the kids. I agree. Next, we got at MD Nelly saying, let the kids play. All right. Mother advocate for the kids. I agree. Next is Rebecca at Peace Now for Life. And Rebecca says, I would like to see the following. Call up more of the kids, Austin Wells especially. I want to see Cole win the Cy Young and also finish the season over 500. First two I could definitely get behind. I mentioned the both of them. And yes, I'm pretty sure we'll be seeing Austin Wells, as I've said. Finish the season over 500. Yeah, that'd be nice, but what would it do? Like, what's the point? I mean, other than obviously adding another winning season to the streak of winning seasons they've, that they've had every year since 1992, but I, I don't really know what the point is if it's just going to result in absolutely nothing happening and them still being in dead last place and nowhere near a wild card. I mean, I'd rather have a winning season than not, but I don't really see the point in like extremely pushing for it and doing like going absolutely crazy and doing everything you can to just finish over 500. I mean, especially if at this point when the games are already meaningless, I'm not saying have this mentality before a season even starts or if you're complete, if you're actually really close to contending, but if you're as out of it as the Yankees are with the amount of games that they have like right now, if true change, which yes, I doubt would happen in the sense that I want it, i.e. Cashman being fired or just being, mo- being moved out of the GM position in general, but if finishing under 500 is potentially what could bring about that change, which, again, for the record, I don't think it's going to happen. I've, I'm one of those people who just think Brian Cashman has this job for the rest of his freaking life, unfortunately. But if, hypothetically, finishing under 500 would be what brings about that change, I wouldn't really care to finish over 500 at this particular point in time where the Yankees are pretty definitively out of it with no meaning going forward. I'd be willing to finish under 500 in this instance if it brought about any true significant change that could actually bring about success in the next coming years before guys like Judge and Cole, the biggest points of the team, biggest players on the team, are officially out of their primes. That's really the biggest priority. Gotta remember, these guys are not getting... We've mentioned this for weeks on end now. I mean, even months. These guys are not getting any younger. They're already in their early 30s. And we'll blink our eyes, and they'll both be 35-plus. And the closer we get to that, the closer we are to the window being closed. This current championship window, that is. Next, we've got at Cashman Sucks NYY saying, Cole and the young kids. Both two things I mentioned. At Miss Yankee says, bench Stanton and have most of the young kids play. Listen, I said before, you won't find a Stanton defender stronger than me, but even I've had a tough time objectively defending him. Uh, Between the time that he missed with injury and how much time he has spent just being really dead weight in the lineup, he's had his moments recently where, you know, he he went four for five, and then he'll have a cluster of home runs bunched together at certain points, but other than that, on the whole, it's been a really rough 2023 for him. It's tough to defend. But yeah, if you get the kids in there, I like who they have up here already. It doesn't really have to come at the cost of Stanton unless you're bringing up a DH or someone else who could be an outfielder, but, I mean, it's tough to bench Stanton. It really is. I don't know. It's tough. But it's certainly hard to defend him. It is. It's hard to defend him. And also, I just noticed this person added, don't let Donaldson set foot on the field again. Totally agree with that. (laughs) Next, let's just do a few more. We've got Spencer at Musician DMD, and Spencer says, things I would like to see 
are Cole positioning himself before voters as the undisputed Cy Young winner, Judge making a push for 40 home runs, Anthony Volpe hitting 20-plus home runs, the Yankees play competitively and have impact on the American League playoff contenders, and most importantly, finish 500. Fair enough, Spencer. Yeah, definitely Garrett Cole. I mentioned the Aaron Judge thing. I'm glad somebody else mentioned that. Anthony Volpe doing 20 home runs, which makes him make him 20-20 with the stolen bases as well. I did mention that possibility earlier. That'd be very cool as far as Yankee rookie shortstop. It's been an awfully long time since that happened. And yeah, I guess the playing competitively and having an impact on the American League playoff contenders, that would I that sounds like the same thing as what I said before about giving people who actually have meaningful games going forward a hard time and actually make it tough for them to win games that they need to win while the Yankees are playing games that are virtually meaningless to them. So I'd agree with that. And the finishing at or above 500 thing, I guess I'll just refer to what I believe... I believe it was Rebecca what she said before because I think she said something similar to that effect. But fair enough. Good points. At Laura underscore Icemont, my good friend Laura says, seeing Cole dominate for his Cy Young Award and for the kids to develop. Yeah, those seem to be the two main things. I'm glad a lot of us seem to be on the same page with that. Definitely agree. At Sneaker 2 Speaker says, as the coach and Rudy said at the end of the last game of the season, play all the seniors. Bring up all the AAA guys. Give them some at-bats and innings pitched. Yeah, there you go. I mean, they already took the right steps with calling up Pereira and getting Peraza back and promoting Jason and Jones. We'll see. They seem to be on a good path with that now that they're almost having their hands forced to do it. At Burrow Dweller 73 says, I'd like to see Brian Cashman run across the outfield during the game and get arrested. <laughs> God. <sighs> That'd probably get him out of here if nothing else. <laughs> My God. Some of you guys are funny. All right, let's just do the last couple because, you know, we're getting deep into the show here as always. Last couple, first up, as usual, is my girlfriend at Vic Salimo, and she says, Cole continuing his path to winning the Cy Young Award, the kids' development, and remorse. Hmm, remorse is interesting. I guess in the sense of, you know, just realizing that they did wrong. I'm not really so sure of the Yankees' self-accountability. They really haven't proven to be really effective in that area in recent years, obviously, so... Not too sure about that one. Hopefully it would lead to some sort of change that would actually make a difference, as opposed to change that would just lead to more of the same. But the other two, absolutely. A lot of what I said, a lot of what others have been saying, Cole with the Cy Young and the kids' development. Absolutely. And now last but certainly not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Wish you were still taping this segment in the loft in Italy still. Wouldn't have minded another week or two there, but here we are. <laughs> Amen to that, Mom. Amen. Well, thank you for last week's episode from Italy. Not a problem. Like I said, and I want to say this to everybody else, I said it a million times already, I love doing episodes from there. I think it's a lot of fun. It's very interesting, the setup that I have there, my remote setup. <laughs> but I listened back to the episode, except for the slight echo that I knew would be there because of all the openness in the room. I actually thought the episode quality, the audio, was not bad at all. I was actually pretty pleased with it. But uh, I had so much fun there in 2023 this year doing the episode as much as I did in 2021 and both episodes I consider to be a massive success had a great time doing them both so I'm glad I was able to give it to you guys so to you mom and everyone else out there who took the time to enjoy the episode from two weeks ago when I was in Italy for the second time doing the second Italy episode for Yapping Yankees you are more than welcome for that it was my pleasure more than welcome for it 
All right, keep on going with the reply now. Now that we know pretty much where the Yankees stand due to their horrible game playing, I could only hope that the one guy who put his all into every game he pitched and killed it wins the Cy Young Award so his teammates can witness the man on their team that came to work every day winning what he has earned, even when his team was a complete failure. And that man is Garrett Cole. He shouldn't have to bear their titles of bad players. I'd also like to see Judge hit at least 40 home runs, even in his shortened season, as we were talking about before. Yeah, my mom and I were talking about that before and I was putting my list together. I think he can do it. I believe these two men are the only men worth keeping on this team if it came down to it. Cashman needs to be eliminated or the Yankees will never win a World Series again, and they should consider renaming the team the Tankies. (laughs) Yeah, that's my mom. So a new team to match Cole and Judge's capabilities along with those two men getting their due rewards for playing good baseball along with new owners and a general manager. All a dream, but you asked what we would want to see happen at the end of this season or before this season. Someone needs to tell me what Cashman has on Steinbrenner that he can't let him go. Something doesn't add up. We need an owner that demands and wants excellence and wins, not just to keep getting richer. Enjoy your miserable end of the season. Well, we've spoken about it before. The reason why Cashman can't be let go by Steinbrenner is because he's just comfortable with him there. It's very evident. They're just comfortable. He's been the general manager for nearly three decades now, and their argument is that they've had winning seasons, they make the playoffs, a lot of those times they make a deep run into them, but then after that it's fine, you know, they they make the playoffs, they make a deep run, and that's good enough for them. So, and I know a lot of teams don't get to experience that on as nearly a consistent basis as the Yankees have, but then you get seasons like this where, you know, the real faults of the team that we've all known were there all along really get truly exposed, and you get a season like this. But they're still comfortable with it. They won't get rid of Cashman. I'd be shocked if they do, especially after they literally, like, just extended him. I'd just be surprised. I don't see it happening. But there's really not much to think of there as far as why they won't get rid of him. He's just basically a part of the Steinbrenner family at this point. It's the guy who Hal's father hired many, many years ago, and they're just comfortable with him being there. He's just a part of the family now. So that's really that. Our goals align, obviously, because I want Cashman gone, but that's, you know, that's for the winter. Any other roster changes you want made as far as acquiring anybody else from outside the organization or anything like that, that happens later on, just before the end of the season, on the field, We seem to be in agreement. Definitely the judge thing, the Cole thing, the kids, for sure. And yeah, Garrett Cole definitely deserves a Cy Young, no doubt. He has given it his all this year. He really has had a hell of a year. He really has. It's been awesome to watch. But yeah, the the tankies. (laughs) You'll never see the Yankees tank. I mean, this season comes very rarely. A season where they're actually at risk of even finishing under 500, which again has not happened since 1992. So... I wouldn't really call them a tanking team. They're just a team that is just really embarrassingly, inexcusably underperforming and not doing nearly what they should be doing. Just a very poorly run organization at this point. But you want to see a tanking organization, you just find a team that won't spend at all and just literally doesn't care to compete whatsoever, even with a winning regular season like the Yankees have done for 30-plus years now. That doesn't excuse the Yankees for this season at all. And everything you said you want to see, valid in my opinion. But Hal will never sell. Hal will never get rid of Cashman. That's just where we're at. But I certainly understand the frustration, Mom, because your frustration is a lot of our 
frustrations. That's just the way it is. And frustration is really the word, <laughs> to put it mildly, that we all feel virtually every single day with the 2023 Yankees, unfortunately, because that's just what it's come to. That's what they've given us, and that's what we have to work with. And that's where we find ourselves yet again here in the final August episode of Yapping Yankees, episode 193, as the 2023 season, thankfully, makes me sad to say that because I never want baseball to end, and regardless of the season had, during the winter I always miss the Yankees and the sport overall, but because of what the Yankees are doing this year, I can confidently say, even though I'll still miss it over the winter, as of this moment, to put us out of our misery with this 2023 Yankees team, thankfully, this 2023 season continues to draw to a close as we get ready to even enter September. And the next time I talk to you, it'll be September 10th already. Be almost halfway through the month and the season will be even closer to being done at that point, which I guess brings us to the end of this episode, episode 193. But before we end, as always, I want to remind you to follow me on all social medias if you do not already, my friends. My Facebook fan page is at Mike Scudero NY. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero, and my Instagram is Mike Scuds 97 Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love across all four. And if you've missed any of the Yapping Yankees episodes, then be sure to listen back to them. And there are plenty of listening options. Episodes 34 up to episode 193 today are all available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode going all the way back to episode one, nearly four and a half years ago, all the way up to 191 today. Well, those are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But once again, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you in two Sundays on September 10th when I come at you with episode 194 of Yapping Yankees. We're getting really close to being within five episodes of the Bicentennial 200. It's absolutely insane. But again, yes, two Sundays because I will not be around next weekend, so we will be off again next weekend for Yapping Yankees, but the following Sunday, the 10th, we will be back with episode 194. Until then, guys, as always, especially when it comes to this year's Yankees, hang in there and be patient, but also stay safe, look out for your loved ones, go ahead and kick life's ass this week, even if the Yankees don't give you much motivation to do so, don't let them take you down. Still kick life's ass regardless, always do so. And also, just uh, keep fighting the good fight with watching this team, I guess. I'm with you guys. I turn on the TV every night because I guess I just enjoy pain. (laughs) I guess the entire fan base has become a collection of masochists. But I'm right there with you suffering, my friends. So, we'll just suffer through whatever is left of this season. Try to find positives wherever we can. And just take it day by day. And just keep on doing the episodes here on Yapping Yankees and... Trying to make it informative and entertaining for you guys as I try to do each and every week. That's all we can do, right? So, until we meet again in two Sundays on September 10th, and we have undoubtedly added even more suffering to our 2023 Yankees resume, take care, and as always, no matter how much they drive us mad on a daily basis, let's go Yanks. (laughs) 